is Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast that tells you what to vape when you watch weird shit on Pluto, or it's the podcast that tells you what weird shit to watch on Pluto when you vape. Take your pick. This week, filmmaker and legendary programmer Floyd Webb returns to the podcast as we delve into the sleazy underbelly of the music business with a pair of noir-soaked, not-quite-musicals. First, we've got Charles Mingus on bass, Dave Brubeck on piano, and Patrick McGowan, the prisoner himself, in All Night Long, a jazzed-up retelling of Shakespeare's Othello from the UK in 1962. And then, our Elvis episode was our third most popular episode in June, so the king is back in King Creole, a New Orleans noir from Casablanca director Michael Curtiz in 1958. This pair of movies will show you that the music business was hella sketchy way before Spotify, but somehow it always seemed cooler when the scheming and screwing was done in smoky back rooms by Walter Matthau. But you can judge for yourself right here on Old Movies for Young Stoners. On Old Movies for Young Stoners, the podcast where cannabis is a gateway drug to classic cinema. Before we introduce our guest, we've got Corey Sklar of the Punk Rock and Goth Graveyard Tour. Look it up on Instagram. Thank you very much. And I'm Bob Calhoun, author of The Murders That Made Us, a true crime history of San Francisco. Greg Franklin is on assignment, and Felina Franklin is on strike, walking the picket lines with her sag after sisters and brothers. We'll have another Strike Talk report from her later in the show. And we have our very first return guest here today. He is an independent filmmaker, legendary movie programmer, and the founder and curator of Blackness TV, that is B-L-A-C-K-N-U-S-S, a streaming service focused on black cinema from around the world. Back in 1982, he founded Chicago's influential Blacklight Cinema Film Fest and programmed it through 1996. He is an associate producer of Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust, one of Sight and Sound's 100 Greatest Films of All Time, and he has now spent an ungodly amount of time making The Search for Count Dante, a documentary film detailing the life of comic book kung fu hustler John Keehan, a.k.a. Count Dante, the deadliest man alive. He was recently featured on Chicago public radio station WBEZ's podcast, Curious City, and he joined us about a year ago to talk about the queen of outer space with Zsa Zsa Gabor. Live from New York, it's Floyd Webb. Hello. <laughs> what, an, what an introduction. <laughs> if you're going to do live from New York, you got to do it like Don Part. You got you have oh. to do it like Don Pardo, Robert or Bob. You got to go live from New York. It's <laughs> Floyd Webb. <laughs> well, Floyd's usually in Chicago, but he's in New yeah. York today. But yeah. uh, 
Floyd, um, who was Count Dante and why are you making a movie about him? I thought we were talking about Mingus and Rubik. Okay. <laughs> Count Dante. <laughs> okay. We're doing a little okay. bit of chit chat before we okay. get into Mingus okay. and Rubik here. Sure. Just a Count, little bit. Count, Count, Count Dante was this renegade uh, martial artist in Chicago, started teaching in the 1960s, like 1961, opens his first school and was the iconoclast. I mean, he was the most famous man in martial arts before Bruce sleep you know i mean they, he was so famous they didn't want to cover him in black belt magazine because he had the audacity to teach black and black and uh and hispanic students a lot of people don't know that uh that in some parts of the country uh, that the uh, police departments didn't want black or or people of color learning learning martial arts so they would visit martial arts schools and tell them nah 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 you know you don't want to teach these guys dante comes along i mean john keen was his name at the time because Count Dante is part of his transformation, right, into the deadliest man alive. But but when he first started teaching, he had started as a as a boxing instructor, as a boxing student of uh, Johnny Coolen, who was best friends of Jack Johnson, you know, and uh, and so he learned boxing in an in integrated in environment in a neighborhood, you know, right by University of Chicago, you know, um, and he ended up doing all this crazy stuff and wrote this book uh called world's deadliest fighting secrets got him thrown out of got him thrown out of his uh kung fu class because of that and went on to uh get his best friend killed in a vault robbery that's the dojo war that that they've got that the podcast is about on wbez in npr then he was involved in a it, it was easier four million to 60 million dollar vault robbery in 1974 and that's what we know about him oh he had the first Mixed martial arts contests, you know, I mean, these are like, you know, contests for money. Uh, he, he started them in Chicago and ended up doing them in, in Massachusetts, in Taunton, Massachusetts. That was the first really big martial arts, mixed martial arts events in, in the United States, you know, outside of the 1920s. Yeah, no holds barred. No, no holds barred because uh, yeah. karate at the time was all like point sparring and, mm -hmm. and you weren't really, you know, it's like karate kid type stuff. You're not supposed yeah. to sweep the leg, but John Keehan would sweep the leg. Now, they were, they were like break the leg. Yeah, yeah. They were like, <laughs> now, now, see, when I started my wrestling persona and my band, I stole this guy's identity because I remembered him from these really very, very kind of sleazy comic book ads where he promised to teach you how to kill people with your bare hands. It was Count Dante, the deadliest man alive. So I started playing this Count Dante as a success seminar infomercial huckster and wrote all these, you know, rock songs around it. But when I first started doing that in the 90s, the Internet wasn't really a thing yet. So I, I just didn't I didn't even know if Count Dante was alive or dead when I started it. But then, you know, so I got into trouble with his former students and Internet Ninjas and stuff. And you came along like in the early 2000s working on this documentary about him. Right. And you reached out to me and we've been, you know, you've been working on the documentary ever since. And I've been assisting yeah. you where I can and yeah. you know, searching yeah. Lexus for you, <laughs> stealing Lexus from my yeah. day jobs and. And doing all that stuff. Uh, don't don't tell, Bob. Don't don't, don't tell. <laughs> well, I mean, according to Lexus, he's still alive. It has a PO yeah. box somewhere in Chicago. That's that's right. uh, he's right. still voting. He's still voting for for he probably voted for Blago a couple times. Hey, I hey, hey, it is Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Al Capone's still voting somewhere there. That's too. right. That's yeah. Right. Early, early, often, and forever. So, yeah, and WBEZ recently did a podcast on Count Dante. That's the Chicago Public Radio Station. 
And they did a two episode podcast on the Dojo Wars, and you're a very, very big part of them. You're a, um, you are the voice. You are the the holder of record for all John Keehan knowledge. So we. Oh, cool. It, it's yeah. sorry, sorry, Corey. To, it's it's yeah. the thing that oh, uh, I think I didn't know about this podcast. I got to get download it right now. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It's it's yeah. very good, and um, it's it's, it's done very well. It's done very well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of Floyd in it, and um, it's what people expect me and Floyd to talk about. We did not at all in the other episode. <laughs> you know, we barely yeah. mentioned it. We were talking about blackness yeah. a lot in the movies and Jaja. And well, um, look, I know radio and WBEZ is always quality. I could yeah. assure you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's going on with the search for Count Dante? Well, um, the uh, merger last year knocked us out of a possible deal with Discovery Channel. And uh, and my deal is up with uh, Workaholic Productions in L.A. And, and and I've been approached by some other people, um, some people that used to do uh, that work work for UFC. Actually, they do U- UFC documentaries. So I don't know what's going to happen yet. You know, Dave. You know, we've we've talked, but but you know, but I'm ready to get back on it myself and finish it on my iPhone. Yeah, put Seriously. it on. Put it on blackness. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can do you that. Gotta, you, know, you, get, a, you you are a streaming mogul. You've got blackness yeah, TV. A streaming. That's right. I'm a streaming mogul. Oh yeah, yeah. You're you're. Maybe we shouldn't even put you on the podcast because we're we're very supportive yeah. of the yeah. SAG after a strike and stuff. You, yeah. you might be. Are yeah. you part of the AMTPT? Floyd? No, I'm not part of any any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Back in the days when I tried to join stuff, uh, you know, Jim Crow still existed. <laughs> <laughs> It's still it's coming back. It's man. still there. It's yeah. still there. But you know, it was always underneath. But with the rise of Trump, was the rise of Jim Crow again. But you know, but but anyway, it's um, it's 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 going to happen. I I really don't worry worry about it any, anymore. I mean, there's like a comic book series out. It's like re, remember I, I used to talk about Dante days. Every day's a Dante day now. Because well, a day without Dante weird. is a day without weird. You said, yeah, yeah, man. yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's like somebody's always sending emails and phone calls and taking trains from Texas to come to, to come to my office to tell me crazy stuff about Count Dante that, that supposedly I don't know. You know, like, like a, what? What are the, some of the crazy things before we move on? Here? Well, the really crazy stuff I try not to remember because I don't want to repeat it. Right? <laughs> You know, because it, it it goes in the area it goes in the areas of, of 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 criminality that I don't even want to get involved in. You know what I mean? I just don't. You know. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, because know. yeah, he Count Dante yeah. was like before uh before the heist in Goodfellas, the Lufthansa heist, the pure later robbery in Chicago that Count Dante was a part of, uh, mm. was the biggest cash robbery in U.S. Yeah. history. Yeah, and uh, so I mean, he's he's almost like, he's like a kung fu wise guy in a way. Yeah, and Kung Fu Wise Guy. Oh, there we go. He had a, a new title. <laughs> he had a new title right. for the movie. That's going to sell you to dis- yeah. High Discovery, man. Kung yeah. Fu Wise yeah. Guy. Yeah, Kung Fu Wise Guy. Okay, and, yeah. And he had a lion that he used to walk along the, the shore of the lake in Chicago, an African oh, lion. Oh, uh, he, he walked it on Rush Street. Rush Street is, was, was, was like Chicago Vegas back then. Strip strip clubs and, you know, secret, secret poker games and... You know, I mean, it, it, and uh, play, 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 Playboy Mansion was over there, and he was a hairdresser. hairdresser. He was a hairdresser. Yeah, he had a, one of one of his karate schools was above Mister Kelly's jazz club. 
and uh, which which got burned down, by the way, and that's how he lost his grocery school was because of this mysterious fire. But uh, <laughs> we'll be covering that in the film too, you know. Because uh, yeah, but it's been the whole of the 21st century that uh, Floyd has been working on this movie. Don't and say been, that. Don't I, say I, that. I, I, I <laughs> met him. I, I was seeing Floyd when oh, Floyd when he logged on. He's like, man, Bob, you're old now. Like you've got gray hair. <laughs> right, right, right. It's when, like when I met him, were, he was a little kid. He was like a little kid. <laughs> He was a little kid lagging his picture of uh of uh, him him and him and him and Stan Lee. And uh who who else was that that you had, man? Oh well, all, Kirby. All I've got oh, Kirby. Jack Kirby, right, yeah, right. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Right. Bob Calhoun and, and Jack Kirby, you know. History. evening. Tonight I'm giving a party, and I'd like you to come along. You'll meet some fascinating people and hear some great music. As a matter of fact, we're celebrating the first wedding anniversary of the famous band leader, Aurelius Rex. A year ago today, he married the fabulous Delia Lane, and the world of jazz lost one of its best-loved singers. Among the guests is Johnny Cousin, Rex's drummer. A brilliant musician, but utterly ruthless in his struggle for success. Look, Delia, you're not the kind of girl to wait in the wings. You want to work. You want it so much. You can taste it. But, Johnny, you don't need me. Yes, I do. It's exactly what I do need, Delia. This is Cass Michaels, top sax player. Very good friend of Rex and Delia. And uh, rumor has it, especially Delia. The world's top jazz men are coming. That brilliant instrumentalist, Dave Brubeck. When you hear a sax played like that, you don't need me to tell you that it's Johnny Dankworth. any gossip about my wife gossip you heard me you know what i mean in the 1960s blacklisted american screenwriter paul jericho took on the very noir nom de plume peter achilles and wrote this jazzy retelling of shakespeare's othello where the moor of venice is now a very duke ellington like aurelius rex the king of the london jazz scene Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner is ambitious drummer Johnny Cousins, the shifty Iago whispering rumors of spousal infidelity in Aurelius's ear. Directing this tense tale of betrayals both real and fabricated is British director Basil Dearden, who had become a specialist in thrillers centered on issues of race and even homosexuality. Taking place all in one night at the wedding anniversary party of Rex and his Desdemona, Delia, a now-retired jazz singer that Cousins desperately needs to front his new band. This movie offers a star-studded jam session featuring Charlie Mingus and Dave Brubeck 
playing themselves in their only dramatic film roles, with African-American actor Paul Harris as Rex and Marty Stevens as his white bride. From Britain in 1962, this is All Night Long. Now, uh, Floyd, when I was originally telling you about the concept of old movies for young stoners, you you had all these movies that we should cover, and they were all all dead on what this podcast should talk about. And one of those movies was All Night Long. So, so tell us a little bit about All Night Long. Okay, All Night Long is a jazz version of Othello, right? Uh, it's funny, a lot, I think a lot of people don't know how the film actually started. It started with um, the biographer, uh, or rather a co-writer of Charles Mingus's autobiography, Beneath the Underdog. And there, and there had actually been an effort to make a film out of Beneath the Underdog. And so Neil King was back and forth to the UK, from what I understand. And there was a proposition for the film, but then, you know, as, as things go, nobody saw the marketability of a film about a jazz musician with multiple personalities, which is what the book is about, right? He talks about his other selves in this book. It's a very good book. It's a very good book. It's also very pornographic, if I'm remembering it correctly from reading <laughs> it. Because he, he t- Char- Charles Mingus tells you how to fuck in that book a lot. Like, maybe the Mitchell brothers could have made it in the 70s, but... You, that you was know. one of his teachers. We all had those teachers. We had we, we all had these guys give us the information when, when you're very young. Yeah. If somebody wants to give you the real information to tell you how to be a player. And make it stick. <laughs> yeah. But but like when this when this film has been made, jazz is at its peak in terms of being used in films, right? Uh every soundtrack is a jazz soundtrack. You know, jazz is like the hip hop of the 1950s, of, of the 1950s, and it really peaks in the in the in the uh uh you know, it peaks in the 1950s and early 60s and and, and, and kind of holds sway. Now Miles yeah. did elevate yeah. to the gallows, the soundtrack yeah. to that and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, so this so Othello. So this 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 idea to, to to do Othello, it's full of everything we want in a film like this. You know, a a, a black and white noir version, a noir version, a B movie noir version of Othello. You know, with secret agent man and the prisoner himself, Patrick McGowan. Yeah, what a cast, right? Yeah, Dave Rubex, Charles Mingus. You know, uh, Johnny Dankworth. Yeah, Surprisingly, nope, Mingus is a good actor. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't yeah, believe Mingus. it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've only heard of this mm-hmm. shuffling through the record store in the Mingus yeah. section, passing yeah. through it. As Floyd mm-hmm. said, everything, every jazz uh, band leader had a, a soundtrack with for a European film back then. And my mm-hmm. brain was always just like, oh, well, that's not like their significant major albums, you know? Like mm-hmm. you said, Miles did Elevator to the Gallows and Miles did some other like, French movie too, and so you always right, go like right, you always go like, right. oh, okay, well that's not that. I want to get to Bitches Brew, or you get to uh, right, Mingus section. Right. And you're like, oh, I want to go to Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, and then you'd mm-hmm. always pass All Night Long, and it's called All Night Long, which is a pretty generic right. title. So right. I never even thought to watch this movie before. Yeah, but this which movie's... is which is a reference back? Which is a reference back to Beneath the Underdog? <laughs> it oh, All Night. The title is uh, yeah, man. That this this oh. All Night Long thing. Yeah, to 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 me. Because it was Neil King, you know, and Neil was deeply involved in it. Like, like uh, as Bob said, uh, all, um, Beneath the Underdog kind of reads like a sex manual in some parts. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And, and, this, and this, so it's like, it, it always, 
I don't know what her relationship was with Mingus, and I will not speculate. But yeah, but uh, I have beneath the underdog. True. It's here in my book book my bookcase. Actually, oh, yeah. next next to my prisoner box set, which is yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was meant to be. Yeah, and Richard yeah. Attenborough is in it too. He's yeah. like the he's the rich guy who owns the loft. The right, the, right. the the loft where he throws these jazz parties and has all these jazz people come and this lot this loft is. One of the yeah. coolest set pieces I've ever yeah. seen in a movie. Yeah. It's full of it's and it, it, it they uh, who's the director Bob? The director Basil, Basil Dearden. Basil Dearden. Basil Dearden is kind of brilliant with his use of space in this yeah. movie. It's in this warehouse by the Thames River because you can't have all night jazz sessions. You know, mm-hmm. in in the major part of London, you'll get the the bobbies call on you, the cops called on you. Right. So this this rich guy has this warehouse and you know we still have underground all-night warehouse parties to this day so yeah. it's very very relatable and um yeah. once you, you know you, the, the, they show the people trying to get into this warehouse and they're all creeped out like what is this dirty place what the hell and then yeah, once it sounds you get like it, a rave so it sounds like going going right going into a rave like what once is this you, place holy shit once they get in it's um it's full of this beautiful mid-century decor and these Ames chairs and this beautiful conversation pit and I was at the Frank Lloyd Wright Hollyhock house yesterday and it really reminded me of that the set decoration is gorgeous it's amazing and then there's these room upstairs where the action takes place kind of the the backstabbing mm-hmm. and stuff while the 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 jazz session is happening and mm-hmm. uh you get a real good sense of this building where the rooms are where the people are the use of space is used kind of brilliantly and and i it's just the it the coolest furniture the coolest architecture the coolest decor what a cool uh place and the movie takes place all at this in, in one party it's all in one night which i love yeah. movies that do that you're stuck in this warehouse the whole time and uh, i just want to call out shout out to the set decorators on this one it's 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 and pretty don't amazing the lighting i mean the the, the noir lighting is beautiful beautiful black and well, the most beautiful black and white I've probably ever seen. Yeah. Um, when this movie started, when I, you know, I, like I said, I never heard of it except just shuffling through a Mingus section and passing through it. And uh, it started, I saw Richard Attenborough and Patrick McGowan on the cast. I'm like, uh oh, this is going to be real British. And <laughs> guess, <laughs> it's not yeah. real British. It, it has yeah. more, and has a very American noir sensibility to it. Um, but yeah, I was very surprised to see Brubeck and Mingus also in the. Mm. The mm-hmm. cast. And it starts the first mm-hmm. scene. The opening scene is Charles Mingus sitting there playing bass, playing himself. And he's yeah. playing himself. He's playing himself really well. And so <laughs> right away, I was sucked into this movie. I, I have to admit, watching it, I kind of went on Mingus watch because, you know, mm-hmm. just depending on if Mingus was there, whatever the footage was that right. he drifts in and out like, oh, there's there's Mingus smoking his pipe with a with a glass mm-hmm. of scotch, you know, a tumbler uh-huh. full of scotch in one hand. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of drifts in and out of it. But, yeah, he's got dialogue. Kind of like, like Playboy After Dark. Kind of yeah. like you have this Playboy After Dark, you know, it, it had that kind of a feel, too. You know, there, um, but there is a scene later in the movie with Mingus and Dave Brubeck like jamming and yeah, like Mingus right. has got yeah. the bass and he's showing kind of Brubeck the scale kind of to play along, which mm-hmm. that's just a very I, I don't know if that ever happened before or since, but that's just mm-hmm. a very, very yeah. interesting combo there. Because I, I hate to say it, but Brubeck's like the, the white guy, jazz guy, like, look, white people can play jazz, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take <know>? five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I I love that record. I love yeah. I love Times Out, but the, yeah, it's, it, it's 
Bob, my dad took my mom. The only jazz concert my dad ever took my mom to was a Dave Brubeck concert. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the dialogue in this movie is very sharp and funny. And there is that one line where one of the, the, the session players says, yeah, I'm an American white jazz artist. We're having a meeting in a phone booth. There's so many of us, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. we're going to start a new minority group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite it's I mean, it's it's referenced, you know, that was, what, yeah, the kind that of guy was, Brubeck is in the in the dialogue. Yeah, actually, yeah. that was that was Patrick. Uh, that was Patrick Iago or rather Johnny Iago Cousins. Johnny yeah. Cousins. Johnny well, Cousins, yeah. the drummer, the drummer who has his name on the drums. Yeah, yeah <laughs> he's kind of yeah. like, uh, you know, it's it's like Buddy Rich gone. You know, he's yeah, he is kind of playing Buddy Rich because Buddy Rich is is a yeah. is a kind of megalomaniac. So I could see a little bit of Buddy Rich going yeah. on there. With, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, let, let's make note: there is actually weed in this movie. Uh, oh Patrick yeah, Mag- pa- Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan is Johnny Cousins is constantly smoking doobies, the jazz jazz cigarettes. And it is there's a little bit of reefer madness involved because he yes, is yes. he is getting more and more manic and more desperate throughout the picture, which is yeah. uh pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he makes uh he makes the Casio character, the character who's set up as like, oh, Delia Desdemona's having an affair with with this guy. And right. she's not, but he's like mm-hmm. telling Aurelius Rex, the the Othello mm-hmm. character, that this is going on. So he mm-hmm. gets that guy stoned, and that uh-huh. guy basically like tells off the biggest music promoter in London or whatever in the world. Right. And but it's funny because he's like, oh, I'm just going to stick to drinking. And everything right, that right. guy ends up doing <laughs> would be more likely to be from the scotch he's drinking than from the right. weed. But like, the, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know, you get drunk and you'll tell off like you right. know, the president we or were, whoever. That, yeah. That's what me, me and, and my buddy were saying as we were watching the movie before the show. It's like, he's not people. People that smoke herb don't don't act like they're drunk. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's like it's. Total, 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 total misnomer on that, you know. So, oh, uh, but but it is like you know, it's surprising how few movies we've done on the show have reefer madness, and I I didn't remember that it did when when yeah. I programmed it. Then I'm watching it, and yeah. I'm like, oh yes, they're smoking weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weird '60s British weed. It probably does absolutely yeah. nothing. It might as well be smoking tobacco, but they go yeah. crazy from it. They do. And plus, back then they were smoking more hash than they were weed, so. Oh, especially in London, probably. Yeah, huh? yeah, 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 yeah. That was L- London was hash city in the sixties. That's right. I mean, they couldn't get the good and stuff. the seventies actually. Yeah, and the eighties. Um, <laughs> yeah, they didn't stop. <laughs> didn't stop. Um, but yeah, speaking of, so you're you're you, you talked about that scene where Mingus and and Brubecker are jamming, but there's many uh, scenes of of musical interludes in this, and it, they're yeah. very they're very well filmed. Even mm-hmm. when the even when the act the non jazz playing actors are playing jazz musicians, I truly believe I I believe like I believe that they were playing, especially the Patrick McGowan drum solo. It looks oh, like yeah. pa- oh, Patrick yeah. McGowan is really playing those drums. My favorite one was the when the bongo player shows up. Oh yeah, the and- bongo players. <laughs> In the first version of the film that I saw, mm-hmm. it starts out with the bongo player. Oh, interesting. In the very first ver- yeah, yeah. I showed it at a film festival back in the uh, 90s. And our, and the bongo player, I mean, that's how it started out. 
And then they then they did a sort of a flashback to, and they probably did that, you know, to, to like bring bring in the bring bring in the audiences and things. I'm not I'm not well, sure. I, that, I, that was I like, realized I put this movie on blind. I didn't realize it was an Othello retelling. Now when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, the music uh, musical interludes were kind of at, used as act breaks, right? Right. It's, um, it's between the acts, but also they were he. It's very smart this this movie. He's using them to tell the story or push the story along, um, you know, the way people are looking at each other. Even at one point, Delia is singing a song, which is making Rex, her husband, uh, suspicious of her. Like the musical interludes are, are not just there. They're not shoehorned in. They're used very wisely to push the story along. And um, I'm I'm very impressed by this movie. I, I, I can't believe it's not more renowned, especially amongst jazz. Heads well, and, why is it not renowned? And stoners. I, I'm going to guess, well, one, it's British. Two, uh, maybe it stars a black man. Like, are those right. two, <laughs> you know a, what I mean? A black man in an interracial relationship. I mean. Right. And yeah, this is, movie is pretty progressive about race. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't yeah, say it explicitly. Yeah. But it never talks about it. It never really talks about it. it you know, it, you, 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 you get these strange things like Rex will do anything for her, include move to Johannesburg. You know, oh yeah. God, that you line know, is I, really yeah. You know. The director Basil Dearden, he was specializing in these kinds of thrillers with race, or there's another one yeah. with, called Victim with homosexuality as as a big part mm -hmm. of the plot. And I watched one of his movies because there there isn't really a lot of literature about Basil Dearden. There's no big book right. on him. Well, he, the BF, yeah, yeah, the uh, British Film F Film Institute is is where you would have to. Uh, that's where you would have to go to, to really find out the stuff about Basil Dearden. In the U.S., they don't talk about him that much yet. But Criterion has a lot of his movies on it. If you just search for right, Basil right, Dearden, you'll like Right, you'll there's see. a collection. Yeah, and uh, I watched this movie he did before this called Sapphire. 1959. Yeah, which is about a black woman, a light-skinned black woman who's murdered, but she started. she's going to college and started passing for white. She left all her black uh friends behind and started integrating herself ingratiating herself with her white friends and not mentioning that she is a light-skinned uh black woman and the you know basically the suspect pool is so big because there's black people that resent her from her former life for mm -hmm. passing and then there's the her fiance's uh dad who's very racist and they find out that she's black so there's just this big pool of suspects it's a it's a police procedural, but it's very good. And it made me realize just how Jim Crow London was because I knew there was racism, but I always thought it was like Cockney kind of, you know, there's just racist assholes. But mm. man, like the institutional racism was it might as well have been Alabama in this movie. Yeah, well. And you know where you go in London, that it can be that way. Yeah. There's a lot about how, oh, you can't get a hotel here. Like they, right. they had segregated hotels. Uh, the boarding house woman, you know, is all mad because she finds out that one of her tenants was black and it's going to, you know, nobody will rent from her anymore. And there's mm -hmm. just a lot of institute. It, mm -hmm. it covers not just the individual racism, like the racist dad, but the institutional racism. Yeah. And it's, it's very, it's kind of shocking. Uh, for me, I call me ignorant. I mean, I was ignorant about the extent of things in a way I probably shouldn't have been. But that uh -huh. movie is really good. But the movie that Dearden is most famous for is this horror anthology from the 40s called Dead of Night. Mm -hmm. And it is like the it, it's basically the forerunner of the Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock presents a very good film. This movie uh, does the noir thing 
and the Shakespeare thing where um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, scheming, backstabbing, lying. Patrick McGowan plays a, a desperate guy that needs to get this singer in his band so he can make some money. So he's uh, tricking his uh, her husband into thinking there's there's some shady stuff going on. And he does this by manipulating a recording, which I think is very clever. Which is really, 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 really slick for that time period. You know, right? Mean? Yeah, you know? it's this, this old this fancy recording console because oh, we're gonna we're gonna be we're we're gonna be recording the jazz session all night. You know, and sort I mean? of heralding his role as secret agent man, right? <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I love the stuff with like I mean, it's a reel to reel tape machine that's mm-hmm. as big as like my couch. <laughs> and, you know, I love the part where he's got the the old grease pencil and he's marking the recording and taking the little bits out to and splicing mm-hmm. it. He's furiously splicing the tape. Yeah. 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 I, I, I want to say, uh, like, uh, up until that point where that double crossing is going on, it's kind of soap opera-y. You kind of have yeah. to pay attention to all the characters, who they are. Well, it's, it's like Shakespeare, right? And again, I didn't know this was Shakespeare going in. So I'm like, oh, man, this is a lot of dialogue. But I did. I was able to keep up with it as stoned as I was. Mm -hmm. And um, (laughs) but that's when the action kind of starts. I have to say the acting in this movie is quite phenomenal, especially from Patrick McGowan and Paul Paul Harris, the lead as um, the the Othello character. Yeah, uh, he acts so much with his eyes and says so much. Oh, yeah. Like like I was saying, especially during the musical interludes, you know, where there's no dialogue. This guy is kind of acting. Oh my, his, yeah, his ass you off. can see him. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, Paul, he's done Paul a lot Harris of is is really really incredible in this movie. So I I don't know like I this movie totally knocked me out, you guys. <laughs> and I've never seen him in another as a lead in any other films. Always as as character actors. He was. In I, yeah, I, I know him from 110th Street and across uh, 110th Street. Yeah, and the yeah. Mac. Truck I know him as the, yeah the, truck the, turn. Yeah, the blind yeah, so. guy in the Mac. I think, and so. Yeah, he's so good in this, and like it's yeah. probably only have one William Marshall. That's why. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you you know in Hollywood there can only be one. It's the Highlander syndrome. We can only have one black William Marshall. We can't have. Just a side note here: William Marshall was an African American Shakespearean actor who is best known for his star turn as Blackula. The name is Blackula. I don't think uh, James Earl Jones didn't get famous until Darth Vader, right? Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, the 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 Great White Hope. I mean, he, you know, yeah. he won a Tony for that, and the movie yeah. came out. And I mean, yeah, 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 he won a Tony, yeah. but he didn't get like wide recognition until he was in a film where you didn't see him. Yeah, well, well, well he's played. <laughs> he, there's a white guy in the suit, Dave Prowse, <laughs> right? And right, then it's just right. we just disassociate his, his voice right. and, yeah. and have this very very posh british bodybuilding guy you never see him really but but yeah it's funny that like oh he has to voice give the voice to a white actor yeah dave prouse it's funny when you watch like they you know on youtube you can find the raw footage of star wars where he's doing the voice and even Mm -hmm. though he's this kind of he's this huge guy I, mm-hmm. I met him at a famous monsters convention once and his hand could just crush my hand. Yeah. But Dave Prowse, like, you know, <laughs> you know, it where are the that, tapes? That, where are yeah. the tapes? You yes. know, I, you know. <laughs> I always wondered, like, not to go too far into Star Wars land, I always wondered if they didn't, because they had Peter Cushing in Star Wars, did they try to get Christopher Lee to play Darth Vader? Because then they, we wouldn't have had the James Earl Jones thing, because right, they just would have used right. Christopher Lee's six foot four. Star Wars is also filmed at the same studio as yes, Pinewood, yeah. 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 
Man, yeah. if there was a room in the Death Star that was this the the loft full of mid mid century yeah mid century furniture and Charles Minkus is just hanging out there drinking scotch right. smoking right. his pipe noodling on the base right. that's really the coolest thing too the, to go back to that is just like Charles Mingus is just kind of working shit out on the base yeah a lot of yeah. this you know when he's on there I mean he plays songs a bit. But mm-hmm. you know, even the stuff with Brubeck or just himself, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, man, this is like the best bass player of all time, just practicing mm-hmm. and just kind of trying to figure out where to put notes on a scale. And it's it's to, to me, me and Corey both play bass. So to us, it's like really cool. Yeah, yeah. Mingus is is the all time best everything. So uh, did you guys know he wrote a pamphlet on how to train your cat, how to take a pee in the toilet? Did you know about this? <laughs> no. Yeah, no, look that up. It's, yeah, it's a, he was very good at training cats how to pee in toilets. Uh, Mingus, not only the great composer, but uh, yeah, he also. Yeah, is I that. mean, he's more than a bass player, right? So it's like I, <laughs> I read a uh, Mingus. I started reading Mingus on Mingus because I couldn't find Beneath the Underdog at the library. It's hard to here. find. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to find actually. Yeah. It's a rare book. And uh, I so I'm reading Mingus on Mingus, which is just these interview sessions with him, and just him talking about music, and it's like. You know, after reading some of these essays or or these conversations, I'm like, I should have never called myself a musician. Like, like just the the oh. level of his him talking about music. Is, yeah, but he's he's a legendary asshole too. By the way. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was a piece of shit to yeah. his musicians. And- yeah. <laughs> um, there is a documentary. T- yeah, there's a, on yeah, there's a 1963 documentary on 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 Mingus that was in all that lived in all of the public libraries across the country. By the way. Uh, the 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 documentary uh, beneath the underdog. The documentary is not very good, by the way. Uh, I don't recommend it. But his wife's his wife's in it a lot, which is interesting. No, 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 not that one. That's this is an older one. This was a this was independent filmmaker. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but I'm gonna look it up. But uh, but but it's usually the Mingus documentary. You can usually find it on 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 YouTube. Well, there's a there's one on Tubi that's like an '80s Canadian documentary. It's definitely like okay, this is Canadian. Yeah, Mingus, Charlie Mingus, nineteen sixty eight, directed directed by Thomas Thomas Reichman. Okay, the okay, one on Tubi is much newer, but it's got lots of interviews with his with his wives and also musicians that played with him, and they're playing what I forget what the piece is, but they're playing mm-hmm. like this very complex piece, and there's going to be a big you know symphony yeah. orchestra version of it, and everybody's just saying how impossible most of the parts are to play, and like the tuba player yeah. and everybody are just having yeah. a really woodshed on it all night long just an amazing movie yeah. now Corey, what what weed did you smoke with all night long well um it is it is a this is a, a stony movie it is a hangout movie like a cheech and chong movie uh they refer to weed as pot in this movie they refer to booze as juice and either you're either on pot or you're on juice in this movie but really you should be smoking jazz cigarettes the whole time you should be smoking doobies so um i found a pack of Really nicely put together. They, they look like an Art Deco box of uh, uh, of joints called the Lowell Farms 35s. Ten tall pre-rolled joints. Very well put together. They look like something Patrick McGowan would have in this movie. I picked the Trailblazer Sativa blend, which made me feel really jazzy. And I was just sitting there smoking jazz cigarettes this whole movie. And it was awesome. So I recommend uh, these Lowell Farms. And they should be available at all, every dispensary around the country check it out the trailblazers the 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 lowell farms 35s tall pre-rolls made me feel very jazzy okay for me you know i was at the dispensary buying weed for this episode i 
I knew we were going to talk a little bit about martial arts with Floyd. So I bought Bruce Leroy. It is an indica dominant <laughs> hybrid. Uh, it is a <laughs> cannabis salute to uh, Barry Gordy's The Last, the Last Dragon. Dragon. One yeah. of the best movies. Yeah, Bruce Leroy. It is from Ball Family Farms in Oakland. It is like, you know, you talk about craft beer, craft wine. This is craft weed. It's small batch weed. Um, it's very good. And by the time the bongo started hitting in the middle of the movie, I was in the right place for those bongos. I was really high. Look at these buds, man. Look at them. Very nice, very beautiful, moist, yeah. very moist. Uh, the woman at the Harborside Dispensary, the bud tender, you know, she just told me that they're it's very popular and one of their better weeds. And I just kind of bought it like, oh, Bruce Leroy, Floyd will laugh at this, but very <laughs> yeah. good stuff, very good stuff. It is 22.74% THC, so craft indoor flower, indica dominant hybrid, very good. If you can find it at your dispensary. From Ball Family Farms, I, I, this is great weed to get stoned and watch movies. And also, I was really stoned on it when I watched uh, the Pee Wee's Playhouse special from the early '80s. Not the, the Roxy not, Show, the Roxy Show. Yeah, yeah, the one with uh, Phil Hartman as uh, as the sailor. What the damn it? Why can't I remember the sailor's name? But anyway, like the one I watched when I was twelve because it was like comedy special on HBO for adults that were really stoned, and then it later became an actual children's show it was so good to be stoned on bruce leroy watching that too so i i highly recommend it bruce leroy weed well i never okay all night long is now streaming on criterion channel as part of their british noir series if you like it you should also check out basil dearden sapphire a 1959 murder mystery that dredges up london's extreme racism of the time and shares some of all night's long's jazzy elements it's also streaming on criterion and all night long is also streaming on Tubi, so you can find it there for free with commercial. And I have to tell you, people, this is a movie that is critically underrated, should be totally critically reevaluated. This is a movie that we should be talking about way more. I can't believe I never watched it. I can't believe more musicians don't know about this movie. It, like Floyd said, it checks all the boxes. It's everything you want in one in a movie like this. It really, really knocked me out. So thanks so much for bringing it to my attention, you guys. It's the Strike Talk Report with Felina Franklin. Hey guys, I am exhausted, but I am here to talk more about the strike. Writers and actors have been on strike now for 106 days and not a whole lot has changed. There's a lot of people who have hope that this is going to be coming to an end soon and there's even more people who believe this is going to take another 106 days to get through these dense ass billionaires. Most people are just pissed that their favorite shows aren't going to take a long time to come out though, <laughs> which is understandable, but come on now. Have some empathy. Between the Barbie movie and this new uptick of TikTok shop promotion videos, which is TikTok's version of their QVC shopping thing, it's a lot and seems kind of sketch, but there's not a whole lot of new strike updates or new coverage. I found a couple though. First is Ribera Bonbon. They stitched a video of a non-union actor talking about how he doesn't give a shit about the strikes uh, because he is non-union and it doesn't even matter because it doesn't pertain to him. Hmm. 
Ricky explains that we should be supporting the union because if you are on a union project, then you'll know that they take care of all actors, not just ones that are in the union. She is also an actor, a non-union actor, who has been on a couple of sets, including House Party. General Strikes for Human Rights commented, Let's make a difference. Sign a strike card, even if you're not an actor, at generalstrikeus.com. Tim Boy app says, Apathy is the reason why BS keeps going on. So true, Tim Boy. Dino Mommy comes in and says, Honestly, how hard is it to just work together? Fucking Christ. This makes the industry better for everyone. Ending on a hate comment, user 72247875361150 said, House party sucked ass. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky came in and said, okay, I didn't write it. I just worked for the set. And uh, user 72247875361150 replied, I know, I'm glad you work. I just didn't really like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Taylor Lawrence talked about how there's no actors or influencers on red carpets or going to premieres right now. So for the premiere of the Barbie movie, they had to scrape the bottom of the barrel politicians. Matt Gaze, who if you don't remember is the congressman who was accused of sex trafficking a young girl, very cool, went to the Barbie movie with his wife. Oh boy, she hated that movie. <laughs> she said the Barbie movie, quote, did not focus on faith and family because Barbie was too ambitious. Hello? <laughs> she also said that Ken was low T which is low testosterone. Um, girl. <laughs> Babzone writes, legitimately so fucking embarrassing, but also so telling, <laughs> which is so, oh. Lauren said, sorry, but Matt Gay is going to the Barbie premiere should be a crime. What the fuck? Okay. I should clarify, this wasn't the premiere. It seems like it was the British embassy's I don't know. Something about the British em embassy in Washington. But Matt Gaze is a crime. This was a very fun string of comments. Britt says, isn't he one of those people who's always yapping about the Hollywood elite pedos or whatever? Guess he felt left out. Geoff said, politics is Hollywood for ugly people. Sex ed theories said, who the fuck invited them? And Robert Pierce said, if Gates fascists hate it, you know it's going to be a banger. All right, everyone. I definitely miss you all. I'm going to be back at the very least for the Halloween episode. But in the meantime, stay safe. Have a good time. Get stoned. This has been the Strike Talk Report, a regular feature on old movies for young stoners until Reed Hastings and David Saslov get their heads out of their asses. I've stacked chairs and bottles and swept the floor up of every joint on Bourbon Street. It's gotten so I look longer at a dame with clothes on and one without. I'm not a hoodlum, but I am a hustler. I've had to be for a very simple reason. There were to be many women in Danny's young life, but only two who really counted. Nellie, who knew too little about love. I've never been to a place like this before. But I want to see you again. Is this the way? Ronnie, who knew too much. 
Ronnie, what are you doing here with this man? How'd you get into this? How do you get out? Fighting for the upper hand, the devil-driven temper that was his pathway to destruction. Get out of here, Ryan! Don't come back! Louisiana, baby, tells you, stay a while. Yeah! On December 20th, 1957, Elvis Presley was drafted, signaling the end of the original rock and roll era. When Elvis received his draft notice, our next film was in pre-production, sending Paramount Pictures into full panic mode. This film had already been developed previously as a boxing picture for James Dean, but was canceled after Dean was killed, crashing his Porsche, and another end of innocence moment that the 50s are filled with. Paramount and Presley were able to get a 60-day deferment from the draft board, so this show could go on. With Elvis as the lead, the movie was moved from the boxing ring to New Orleans' seedy nightclubs, where gangsters and burlesque house owners scheme and plot to corner the market on Elvis's singing and hip-shaking. Also battling for control of Elvis' soul are Nellie, the good girl, played by Dolores Hart, and Morticia Adams herself, Carolyn Jones as Ronnie, the gangster's mall who thinks Elvis's Danny can help her go straight, with some truly amazing songs that set the tone for this down and dirty Southern fried noir and reuniting the brain trust behind Casablanca with Hal Wallace producing and Michael Curtiz directing. If you're looking for trouble, you came to the right place. This is King Creole. Okay, Floyd, you said this movie is one of your origin stories. Yeah, this is when I was first learning what cinema was, man. This came out when I was, uh, what, seven? Was was I seven? Was I, what was I? I was about five, six years. Yeah, yeah. I was I was like five years old. This is one of the movies uh, one of my relatives took, took me to see. This wow. was the year before I saw Queen of Outer Space. And I saw it during the Jim Crow period in Mississippi on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. Which was really, you know, that time when you had to go up the back stairs, the back hot fire escapes into the air-conditioned balcony, which was the coolest place in the theater, which yeah. kind of defeated the whole purpose of Jim Crow. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> and, uh, we get the best spot in the theater, idiot. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, it was cold because it would be a hundred degrees outside, man. But wow. I remember seeing this movie and just like the New Orleans section, you know, how like both of these films set 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 the environments up beautifully. And uh and Elvis, you know, as in watching the watching the opening of uh King Creole, it, it reminded me of the Elvis movie that, that was recently out. You know how they create this environment of black music mm-hmm. before we get to Elvis. You 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 see this entire world of like living black music. You know it's like on a daily basis. There's this this music on the streets. The the uh, call of the crawfish, uh, the uh, crab dealers. You you just get that thing. And I remember sitting in that theater watching this, just being fascinated just by seeing New Orleans. You know, and it was also interesting to me that like. When he played in the fir- when he played in that club, that first club he played in, and he sang, he was backed up by this black band. But when he went to the gangsters club, he was backed up by oh, yeah. a, a, a white band. You know, it was like some real crazy stuff. I remembered 
Wow. From being five years old and watching this stuff and going like, what? what? What just happened? You know, and he's back and forth between these two worlds. And it is 1958, the year before he goes into the army, which reminds me of what uh, John Lennon said, that the real Elvis died in the army. Because when he came back from the army, he was doing like all those Viva Las Vegas movies. Smiley Technicolor Elvis. Yeah. 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 yeah, All this. All this. Hi. Hey, gang, let's have a show. Yeah. Like Kermit the Frog or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those 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 kind of kind of kind of movies. But like and and plus, you know, like thinking of his um, I actually remember going to one of those things and Elvis used to be in real movies because the last movie I'd seen. Before, after seeing um, King Creole, the movie that I saw after that was uh, was uh, was it Flame, Flaming Star? Flaming Star, yeah, Don. Flaming Siegel. Star. I mean, really, man. I mean, come on. These were some serious roles for this character. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it's it's and it's like and and let alone the fact he could actually act, but was then for some reason in American film when you once you act and become successful, they they put you in films that you don't have to act in. You know what I mean? You're not required to act. You're just required to be there and, you know, put people's asses into the seats and you, you don't work hard anymore. Well, Flaming you know? Star was a disaster because there's no Elvis music in it. There, There's a song at the beginning and he always yeah, ends up at, playing at the a song. Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, but so, yeah, so but Colonel, T- Colonel Tom is like, nope, we're only going to do these uh, hokey right. pictures now right. where you're where it's just going to yep. be a vehicle. We're, we're, we're going to try to sell a soundtrack. It's an Elvis, right, right. It's an Elvis vehicle. If it ain't an Elvis vehicle, you ain't doing it, kid. Colonel Tom has terrible taste. We could all agree. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that. <laughs> when I was reading up on this movie in uh, Last Train to Memphis by Peter Goralnik, Lieber and Stoller, they wrote uh, Trouble, and mm-hmm. they wrote a lot of the songs in this movie that, again, King Creole, the title song that evoked New Orleans. It's like one of the most tied into the film Elvis soundtracks there is. It's it's it, mm-hmm. the, the, the songs tell the story of the film a little more than usual. Mm-hmm. I forget if it was Jerry Lieber or Mike Stoller, but one of them got a blank piece of paper with a space for the signature at the end from Colonel Tom and we're like told, just sign it. Just sign it and mm-hmm. send it back. Max Fields does that same shit to Elvis in this movie. He gives him a blank piece of paper to sign. Exact same yeah. thing. I know, yeah. it's funny. It's like, that's probably where Colonel Tom got the idea is reading the script going, oh shit, I I could do no, that. I think they got the I think they got the idea from talking to, to, talking to Elvis <laughs> about Colonel Tom. That's what I think it was because you know, it's about the music business. It's about what, what happens in the music business and the fact that there, there's always somebody there to get you to sign your rights into perpetuity, right? To sign something in, into perpetuity. And that's kind of what this episode is about. It's the music business episode. Mm-hmm. And like I said at the beginning, it was fucked up well before Spotify. That doesn't mean Spotify. It's more fucked up now, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you always mm-hmm. had these, you know, Walter Matthau's there and he's going to quarter the market on Elvis. He's, he's basically playing like a sleazier, more mobbed up version of the Colonel in this. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he's great in it. Corey, what did you think of Mathau in this? I mean, I think the cast is kind of great. Walter Mathau, Carolyn Jones, and Vic Morrow kind of raised yeah, the raised right. the bar in this movie yeah. more than more than any other Elvis movie. Don't um, forget Dean Jagger. Dean Jagger. Dean Jagger, yeah, it's who so yeah, um so good. But I, was Walter Mathau always old? 
Like, because uh, <laughs> he was old when I was little, and then he's old in the Bad News Bears, and then this is like 20 years before that. And, and he's, he's like, probably like 32 or something. Oh, yeah. is he? Because he, he looks hella old in this uh, movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like uh, we Floyd and I were talking about a Borgnine. Crawford. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Borgnine. Yeah, yeah. And it's like Borgnine said, you know, when I was young, I looked old, and everybody thought I was old. Yeah. But now that Bork- I'm like, now that I'm 80, everybody says, you look the same way you looked 40 years ago. You look so <laughs> yeah. young. So. Robert you know, Crawford, Robert Crawford, uh, Borgnine, Walter Matthau. Walter Matthau is fantastic in this movie and, and does elevate it to another level, especially uh-huh. after watching so many effing crappy Elvis movies. This oh, was yeah. My fir- this was my first time viewing King Creole. And yeah. um, I always heard it was the good one. And it is yeah. the good one. But I, yeah. I didn't I didn't. Uh, I, there's a fight scene because Walter Matthau is the baddie in this movie mm-hmm. uh, and he's very good at it. And there's a fight scene between Elvis and Walter Matthau. And it I, it's it's quite iconic. And it's iconic in the way the picture of Elvis and Nixon is, is that it's these two big mm-hmm. cultural uh, heavyweights um, sharing this scene together. I really like the fight scene between Matthau and, and Elvis. I think Walter Matthau really took a punch great. Also, Paul Stewart. Like, Matthau is like the more mobbed up, more ruthless club owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to corner the market on Elvis. Paul Stewart comes in as the owner of the King Creole, which is like a lower rent burlesque house. He's got burlesque dancers who get the woman doing the banana song gets to do her whole song like Elvis or something like they let her do her. Yeah, that was a yeah, that yeah, that was a that was a fake uh, Josephine Baker knockoff. Oh, yeah. With bananas. It's got the whole uh, the lighting in that is very German German expressionism. It's all yeah, it's all yeah. curtis coming from Europe. Well, that's an, another thing that elevates this movie over the other Elvis movies is the the cinematography is quite good in this yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, and quite no- noir esque. But Paul Stewart is the other club owner, and he's kind of the good club owner. He's not as right. sleazy as Matthau, and he's trying to give Elvis a more square deal. And he is also wants Elvis's uh, sister. Like he starts having having uh, his wait a minute. His 20 his 20 year old sister yeah elvis is uh <laughs> this but, film is full of full of some surprises man but paul stewart's first movie is citizen kane he's also yeah. in kiss me deadly and in cold blood he's a guy in a lot of noirs he's a but bob when he puts that line out what does a 40 year old say to a 20 year old so weird <laughs> that, that was, was so weird that was, but that's not the only thing elvis taking the woman to the hotel room he just meets her and he takes her to the hotel he telling her there's a party her. going he, on. Yeah. Telling her there's a party going on. You know. Oh I think God, he, yeah. I I think he's done this before. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny. His character's name is Danny. Yeah. And, yeah. and also the part in the beginning, the location shot where you know they've got those New Orleans balconies, and Elvis is talking to the hookers that live across the street. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. So the opening scene with that number crawfish. Yeah. Uh, that has to be the funkiest Elvis song ever until the seventies, right? Like. What a funky song that is. Holy crap. That's my favorite Elvis song now. It's one of my favorites. And Kitty White is the woman he does a duet with. And listening to Crawfish, I'm like, and listening to her records now, I'm like, God damn it. You know, it's another Colonel thing. There should have, I wish there was a whole Elvis record, Elvis Kitty White record of them yeah, doing so, shit like Crawfish because it's yeah, so it, fucking good. It, it's quite a powerful opening. But the but but the film, the film is based on this book by, by Harold Robbins, A Stone oh. for Danny for Danny Fisher, which is about a box a boxer trying to break oh. trying to break his uh, it's the same story, but instead of taking place music. in the city and boxing, it's with music in New Orleans, right? It, it is a it is a troubled teen movie. 
which yeah, it's uh, definitely, uh, definitely. And um, and, and Elvis compared- is acting himself, acting very well, but he never quite hits the highs of a James Dean or something like that. But right, it's okay because right. he's Elvis and right. he's he, he still yeah. has that Elvis right. magic because he can sing. Well, they originally developed it for James Dean, and then he died, and it kind of sat on the shelf. And then you know Elvis had this kind of smoldering appeal in Jailhouse yeah. Rock and 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 this. So the and even Love Me Tender. They mm-hmm. uh, so they were like, OK, they wanted to make him the new James Dean for a little while in films uh-huh. as they saw that potential. Brando was getting too old and weird and hard to work with. And Brando was always kind of going to going to veer towards more adult roles anyway. But that was a year. But that but but that was the year he did the wild one. Isn't it 1959? No, uh, uh, wild ones way early. Wild ones. Fifty one. Wow. Fifty one. Wow. Yeah. You it's kidding like, me? Yeah, it's way early. Um. Someday oh. I hope to do an episode with the wild one paired with uh, yeah. Scorpio Rising. I kind of oh. want to do those two together. <laughs> nice. um, 51. Yeah. Uh, Correction. The wild one actually came out in 1953, so I'm wrong about that one, but that's still plenty early in the 1950s. The, yeah, uh-huh. the, 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 there's definitely a Tennessee Williams uh feel throughout this whole thing right like mm-hmm, don't, mm-hmm. don't you think that's what they're they're going for yeah a little bit? Oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, kind of oh yeah definitely 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 but yeah once elvis is involved in it it's like uh scrap the boxing thing it's his singing is the the thing they're trying to control that's the yeah. talent it, yes, it, because it's yes. a movie about gangsters trying to control an individual's talent yes. whatever that talent is it's if it was about prostitutes they would be the greatest pro- call girl of all time it could be boxers yeah. it could be strippers it could be singers it's just some this person has a talent we can market and we want to screw them yeah. over while making as much money for ourselves as possible and then throw them up and toss them out you know it's the requiem yeah. for a heavyweight thing or you know yeah. the setup but this is they do this with singing and it it, it works i i think the songs are some of the best songs in an elvis movie of course trouble is iconic which lieber and stoller were kind of miffed about the way elvis did the song because they they kind of wrote it as a parody of like muddy waters type i've got big balls kind of i'm gonna kick ass kinds of songs but elvis mm-hmm. did it seriously but i'm like okay, you know reading lieber and stoller yeah. kind of bitch about this in in uh Guralnik's book i'm like come on he's got like michael curtis telling him how to act it's like it's it's a song for a movie and elvis is playing this this kind of violent kid this violent young man it's like they're gonna play it seriously so it's not like yeah. you can't really do this kind of meta spoof of that blues motif <laughs> you know in the context of the yeah. film and have it work one of the one of the things i was sitting there that it was sort of a humorous thing came out saying i was like my god there's no angel heart in this thing you know there's no nobody broke out the new orleans hoodoo and but the director right so <laughs> so i'm looking at the uh director man the director uh mike michael curtis austrian curtis, yeah 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 curtis born in 18 in the 1890s in austria Whoa. Came came yeah in the 1890s. I mean, this guy was active until the 1960s, until the uh, the uh, mid mid 60s. You know, and I'm just looking at how his sensibilities played into this. You know, how he, you know, uh, because there there is something different about this movie. You know, there was something very different. It kind of like in the end, you know, it's got the happy ending. You know, he he recovers his reputation. He doesn't end up in prison, even though he was headed that way in the beginning. It uh, it just felt really different. But I kept thinking, oh my god, any 
any minute, I'm going to see chickens. You know, I'm going to see chickens and um, we're going to see some blood drinking. We're going to see some <laughs> some voodoo doll something, right? No, you know, no yeah, it never New goes Orleans. there. It's New Orleans, you know. And out of that West Indian island comes a tale of terror and voodoo, of witchcraft and zombies, and all the weird black magic that the white man seldom sees. You know, you know he's got to sell the soul to, to the devil so that he can be successful the way Robert Williams. I mean Robert uh, Robert Johnson, Johnson was. Yeah, yeah, but you know yeah. Elvis Elvis was a good was a good Christian boy, so maybe he's yeah. like I don't I don't want no part of that voodoo. I don't want none of that. None of that. None voodoo. of that Santeria. Get that away from me. Get that away from me. I mean, I could yeah. see Elvis, you know, if they suggested that, I could totally see Elvis nixing that. Like Elvis yeah. is going to run away from that, but Curtiz is like one of the best directors of the classic Hollywood era. And he's talked a little yeah. more about now, but he was always mm -hmm. this kind of stealth guy. Cause you would talk yeah. about John Ford or Howard Hawks as these great mm -hmm. directors. But then when you would look at Curtiz's filmography, it's like yeah. the Seahawk with Errol Flynn, Casablanca, yeah. Casablanca adventures of Robin right, hood, right. you know, the Seahawk, yeah. the sea wolf, uh, Mildred Pierce, which won Joan Crawford, her Oscar, his other um, musical movie is Yankee Doodle Dandy with with James Cagney, which, of course, also has oh blackface in God. it. Oh, so that's, Lord. you know, he's not really a musical director. Those are kind right. of his two musicals and mm -hmm. and uh, mileage may vary on them. But, yeah, I mean, just like these considered the greatest films of the 30s, 40s and right. 50s. Right. And he, he kind of in the United States, he started directing horror stuff for Warner Brothers. So he directed Dr. X, which I know Greg, he's not here, but he he really loves Dr. X and the synthetic flesh and mystery in the wax museum and a movie with mm -hmm. Boris Karloff called Walking dead but then he gets kind of put into the a pictures angels with dirty faces i believe is one of his too mm -hmm. which is classic yeah just on and on so that's the guy that hal wallace who worked with him at warner brothers see the thing with hal wallace who ends up producing a lot of the elvis movies for paramount i think he, i believe he produced uh roustabout which was the Elvis movie we talked about in the Elvis episode. But Hal Wallace is like, you know, he's producing all these classic films. But when Casablanca won the Oscar for Best Picture, Hal Wallace is getting up from his seat to go collect the Oscar and Jack Warner cuts him off and dashes for the stage to take the Oscar. And then Hal Wallace was like, fuck Jack Warner, I'm done with Warner Brothers. And he became an independent producer working mostly at Paramount and continued to produce like these Elvis movies, but also just a lot of other classic films as well and mm -hmm. really good noirs and everything. So it's the team of, it's the brain trust of Casablanca making this Elvis movie here. It's the producer and director of Casablanca. If Bogart was alive, he'd probably be playing the Walter Matthau role, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's just funny to think yeah. about, but yeah. Well, yeah. Let's talk about um, Carolyn Jones, who I think delivers oh, the, yeah. the best performance. Best in the performance. Movie. Definitely. definitely. Yeah, she, she's kind of acting circles around everyone. She, she plays uh, the hard luck dame uh, yeah. who, you know, the, the, the noir, uh, stereotype, but um, adds a, a, a depth to it and a sadness to it and a pathos that, uh, you know, you would expect in a Elia Kazan movie or something like that. So I just want to give a shout out to, to, to Carolyn Jones for kind of elevating uh, the movie a little bit, at least. Oh. And and she is so fine in this. She's, and, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, sorry. Yeah. That's yeah, another, so I another thing I wanted to say. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. She is hot. She's, she's, she's hot as hell in this movie. She's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. By the way, um, I believe that King Creole is the best Elvis movie, but my favorite Elvis movie is Jailhouse Rock. That just for, if anybody gives a shit, 
my the one I can watch over and over again, the one I can watch the most is Jailhouse Rock. I just enjoy that movie for whatever weird reason. And it is one of the better Elvis movies. It's it's not as good as this one, but it's my favorite. It's not it's not hard to be one of the better Elvis movies. I'll say that. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. And I, I promise that next year we'll stay away from Elvis unless there's some other Elvis cataclysmic. Well, thank Elvis you, because movie. I want to say Elvis movies are I, this is this is solidified it for me. They're not stony there. This is not a stony movie. It's a good movie. Elvis is a good, good performer. He's a good actor, but it is not a stony movie all night long. That shit's stony. Corey, uh, well, King Creole might not be stony, but what did you smoke with this movie? I, uh, I, I've, I've famously said on this podcast before that weed drinks don't really work on me. Well, my tune has changed, everybody. I bought a four. They were on sale this week at my local dispensary, a four pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon uh, <laughs> hard, hard weed seltzers. I bought a four pack of the um, passion fruit flavored and uh, I timed it. I, I cracked one open. Ted, they're 10 milligrams each. I cracked one open. I, I timed it perfectly and it hit me right as crawfish started. And uh, these things are awesome. I highly recommend them. They're 10 milligrams of THC each. And I love the Paps Blue Ribbon THC hard seltzers. Get them today at your local dispensary. I'm, you know, they are. They do have them at Harborside and San Leandro. So next time I'm in there, I'll pick up a, a four pack of them. And I loved them. They really they really I mean, don't drive after them. That's what I'll say. <laughs> oh, OK. I'm kind of slightly in the same boat as you with this. Uh, not to get too gross, but I had my wisdom teeth pulled when I wa- the day I watched this movie or the day after I watched this movie. Congratulations. Was, yeah, I know. I'm 54 and have my wisdom teeth out. But anyway, you can't smoke for a few days. After you've had your teeth pulled, you'll get a dry socket. You know, yeah, you'll that. get a dry. Yeah, <laughs> so I didn't smoke. So I got these Care by Design, uh, CBD THC soft gels. I got the one to one, which is sixteen milligrams of CBD and ten milligrams of THC. And if you're in pain and your hospital won't give you Norco or opioids anymore, which is common, this is what I'd recommend for that. I mean, it's, you get, it's a really loopy high and because of all the CBD, I believe it's very relaxing and you're very loopy and watching this movie on that was fine, but I wouldn't recommend like, Oh, you should take these and watch King Creole. I'm not going to recommend that. What I would recommend for this movie if I'm really making recommendations would be Grease Monkey, which is what I watched for Touch of Evil, which really got me into the Mancini music and Touch of Evil and the black and white photography. Um, it's a Seven Leaves pre-roll. It is a hybrid. So that movie really got me there for Touch of Evil. I think that would also be good for for our first movie for all night long. But but what I took with this movie was these uh, Care by Design one-to-ones CBD THC soft gels and and if you're battling pain or anything like that or you just need to relax they do have ones that are less THC but I'm trying to get high here folks I don't want to just be mellow on CBD so nice King Creole is now streaming on Criterion Channel as part of their Elvis series. Lots of great stuff on Criterion right now. If you're one of the 1.6 million subscribers who canceled Max recently, you should pick up Criterion. You won't regret it. King Creole is also streaming for free with ads on Pluto. So, Floyd, thank you so much for coming back on the show again. That's uh, fun. What Do you have any screenings, any events, anything you, you want to hype coming up? Yeah, doing something at the Black Harvest Film Festival at Cisco Film Center with an Oscar Micheaux film. 
It's called uh, Symbol of the Unconquered, a story of the Ku Klux Klan with live music. It's a silent film with live music by the AACM Big Band. Wow. Yeah, so it's going to be improvised music behind the silent film. And and I've been doing some experimenting with some some experiments with these silent films because I saw, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something with South African music with with South Asian music, you know, Bansuri, you know, Tabla Sitar. You know, there's a, there's some there's some new possibilities with uh with uh silent films. You know, usually people want to go and get a big banner or they want to use piano or have ragtime piano or something. I've I've done some stuff with like uh, jungle and and drum and bass with uh, silent film. I'm trying, you know. So so this is a new practice that I'm trying to get started, you know, so I can do it at different festivals around the world. And of course, the Blackness Network, the Blackness uh, Blackness TV. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm still looking for new content for that. Twenty four and in twenty four, I'll be going to all of the streaming platforms. So I'll be on Roku. I'll be on. Uh, I cannot Apple, wait. I cannot Apple, wait. Apple TV. I'll be on uh, TVOS and um, and Amazon Fire, Fire Fire Stick. And that's Blackness B L A C K N U S N U S S dot TV. Like the Ro- like like the Roland Kirk song. Right. Yeah. Like the Roland Kirk song. It is on Roku now. I, it's I a watch Roku, it now, yeah. Roku. Yeah, I'm yeah. a subscriber. And uh, can you give us the date on on the Oscar Michaud film at the Cisco uh, no, Film Center? November 11th at Oscar. Yeah, November oh. 11th, seven o'clock during the Black Harvest Film Festival. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. um, There's lots of great stuff coming up at the Gene uh, Siskel Film Center in Chicago. They've got RoboCop coming up, uh, Bruce Lee and Fist of Fury, uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Pink Flamingos, lots of old movies for young stoners, the original Scarface, Promises, Mm -hmm. Promises with uh, Jane Uh Mansfield. So lots of great. Uh I kind of want to go camp out at the Gene Siskel Film Center right now because there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Oh, next spring. One more thing. Next spring. We're 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 doing um, a, a martial arts film weekend at Chicago Filmmakers. We are not sick men, and we're doing a new film called Kicks that's going to be premiering the uh, at the Underground Film Festival in Chicago. That's Kicks K I C four four Kicks F O R K I C K K S. That's at the Underground Film Festival, and our festival in in uh, April. I'll have to get the date on, but if, but if you follow Chicago Filmmakers, we're going to be doing some strange things. We we've got a Chicago film. With the with uh, Hosun Pak, who was the original one of the original characters in in Mortal Kombat game. Oh, cool! He, he made a film called uh, uh, Book of Swords. Wow! That came out in 1990, and it never got released wide in the United States. Wow! That's so that you can only get it alley. on DVD. Yeah, cool. and uh, you know, and we're gonna show some Bruce Lee stuff, but but you know, we're gonna find some films that you normally don't see, and 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 a bunch of shorts, and we're gonna look at uh, at like hip hops. Of the uh, presence of kung fu in in martial arts in 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 uh, hip hop music videos, you know, Wu Tang. Kind of in spring, when Floyd does this martial arts film festival in Chicago, I'm going to go there and I'm going to spoke Bruce Leroy from Ball Family Farms in Oakland. I'll smuggle it in. We'll get everybody stoned on Bruce Leroy yeah, and watch yeah. uh, hip hop martial yeah. arts movies yeah. and Bruce Lee movies that weekend. Yeah. So you hear that O'Hare Airport? He's going to smuggle yeah, it in. Just, just, uh, <laughs> no, Illinois, Illinois, it's OK. Illinois, it's OK. Just don't. Just don't get, uh, just don't have to land in Oklahoma someplace, because they still, because they still don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. 
They don't. <laughs> all that's, even though Merle Haggard was stoned off his ass when he wrote and recorded it. Floyd, how can people get a hold of you? How can they f- keep up with you? Because you've got so much going on. Go to floydweb.com or, go, or you can go to me at, on Facebook or you can find me on, on uh, Instagram at Floyd Webb. Uh, it's easy. If you just put in Google, they, they, they come up with it. F-L-O-Y-D-W-E-B-B. Floyd, thank you so much. It's so good to meet you. What a legend. It's so okay. great to meet you, my man. Yeah, also the searchforcountdante.com. Right, searchforcountdante.com. He's, yeah. he's got a couple URLs, Floyd. Uh, yeah. Thank you yeah. again. Uh, okay. Glad you could finally meet Corey. And okay, Corey. Uh, next episode, we don't know what the hell movies we have on it, but we have film critic Pam Grady on. It'll be a great episode. We'll have some weird-ass movies. We'll tell you what to smoke with them. It'll be fucking great. Thanks again, Floyd. Thank you, Corey. You can stick that in your pipe and smoke it all right here on Old Movies for Young